All righty, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter three. Um, <clears throat> give me a little bit of a shorter study today. I wanted to give that update and let you know um, about the mission trip. But really, this is kind of the conclusion of the message I had planned in our last study. If you remember, um, I, we ran out of time and I just kind of ended abruptly there in verse 13. Um, what we were considering in that section and continues on to the end of this chapter is those that didn't hold firm to the end. They didn't, they didn't continue in belief to the very end. And so the title of our study is Steadfast from Beginning to End. This is the wilderness generation that the author is referring to, and they saw the manifested presence of God, and yet they failed to believe God for the next thing he told them to do. The same grievous era of hardening their hearts and not believing is what the author is afraid this church is about to do. That these believers are in that place where they're about to stop believing and trusting in the Lord and that their hearts are going to become hardened and that they are not going to finish with the same strong faith they began with. And so he warns them. In our study last time, we talked about Samson a little bit. We talked about King Saul, but we spent a lot of time on Judas and, and that hardening of the heart, the deceitfulness of sin and how he, the, the, that process he went through from, from becoming an on-fire disciple, a follower of Jesus to where he became a thief, holding the money bag. And we went from being a thief to actually selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the subtleness of that sin and how it hardened his heart. So this is the same line of thinking that we're um, talking about as we move into verse 14. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. <clears throat> so we have a call to steadfastness. And, and the, the call is, how did you begin? Have that same confidence at the end. And that's a, gr that's a great time for us to stop and evaluate our own hearts, our own passion for the Lord, our faith for the Lord. Is our faith for the Lord stronger today or at least comparable today with where it was when we first began? Or do we find that our faith is becoming weaker and weaker it's getting chipped away bit by bit, piece by piece. We may not say it out loud, but if the truth was to be told, our faith is like, you know, a Jenga tower. Jenga, what is it? Jenga or Jenga? Jenga, where you're pulling out the pieces and you know that it's like one more thing, one more thing, and it's going to come crashing down. And now let me tell you what I'm not talking about here today. I'll say this a couple of times. I'm not talking about... Somebody who's on fire for the Lord, following Jesus, and it, it finds themselves at times struggling with a sin that they repent of and they get up and they walk on and ask for the Lord's strength. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about some, a group of people, that wilderness generation, this generation that the book is written to, where people are about to make a conscious decision, I'm done following the Lord. That's a big difference than struggling with sin, don't you think? I mean, it's a world of difference. I mean, sin is wrong, and it should be 
repented of. We should not make light of it. But that's a, that's, we all have that. We all are aimed at the target, you know, and, and as we are, you know, about to let it go to try and, and walk in holiness, we miss at times. And we don't always do the things that we ought to do. Not talking about that. That is not the discussion right now. The discussion is for the person who's been dismantling their faith. They've been looking at Jesus and they're like, I don't think so. I don't, I don't want that piece of Jesus and I don't want this piece of Jesus and I don't want this or this. And you're, you're dismantling your faith. That's, that's the one that's in focus. I say that so that we can really zero in on what the passage is saying. But I also say that because I don't want those who are, of you who are really following after the Lord and, you know, from time to time, you sin, like all of us, thinking that your faith is about to be destroyed. That's not, there's a different message for that, and it's not this one. This is a hard message. This is a, a, a message that should cause all of us to evaluate where we are in that process. We begin, though, with this phrase, for we have become partakers of Christ. Then he goes into the conditional statement. But let's just stop right there. You are a partaker of Christ. You, you are joined together in Christ. And he prays that we would have a union with him. Read John 17 again. The way that he and the Father are joined together. Not that we would ever become divine, but the, the connection of fellowship is so deep. We are told that we are joint heirs with Christ. The Lord will be rewarded, and you are going to receive a part of the reward of Christ. How does that make sense? What did we do that we would be a joint heir with the Son of God? We read in the opening chapters of Revelation that we are going to sit on the throne with the Lord as he has sat on the throne with the Father. How in the world would we ever be granted access to this? And if it wasn't written in scripture to say any of the things I just said would be blasphemous. But it's not because this is what the Lord has given to us. This is the grace that we have. This is what you're partaking of. Everlasting life. Glory that we really cannot even begin to fathom in its fullest and deepest sense. But we're given a lot of information, aren't we, about it. So we've become partakers of Christ if, and boy, that little word is powerful, isn't it? If. What is he saying? We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The word here, uh, metoxis, uh, for partakers is used six times in the New Testament, five times in Hebrews. It's not a word that's used very much. But it becomes a favorite word of the writer of Hebrews. It's a straightforward mean, meaning of just like a colleague or a partner. And it's something that is, that is wonderful. But he's writing to discuss those that think they, they can walk away from Christ and still have all of the blessings of Christ. Saying that's, that's not it. Those that have the blessings and are partakers of Christ are those who keep their faith to the end. How was your faith at the beginning? You need to have 
that faith at the end, hopefully a stronger faith. And so he, he's writing to let them know you can't walk away. And many people are deluded in this thought in every generation of the church. There have been false prophets and false teachers that will come along and they will say, you can live however you want to. God's grace is good. It's there for you. It will cover your sin. It doesn't matter. Live however you want to. Is that biblical? That's not biblical. Not even close. Like, if you're aiming at the target, you shot 100 feet over it. And yet, somehow, we know how, Satan, somehow this works into the church's thinking. And there are those who feel like they can, they can push Jesus away here, they can push Jesus away there, and they can live however they want to, and it is not a big deal. And they will say, well, the grace of God, we're saved by faith, not by works. Well, that is true. We are saved by grace and through, through our faith. But that does not translate into living however you want to. Romans chapter 6. This passage is important for us. In verse 15, it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he writes and says what? No, certainly not. But in verse 16, he says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Here's the thing. The author puts us in one of two camps. We are a slave either to sin or to the Lord. You're, 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 somebody's your master. Now under sin, you may have a thousand different submasters. But it's either sin or it's righteousness. It's either the Lord or you're living for your flesh. And we get this idea that it's like I can live for sin and somehow be okay with the Lord. No, living for that sin will lead you to death. It's not going to lead you to righteousness. It's not going to lead you to um, a good standing with the Lord. So this mentality that says live however you want to. Oh, we know the Bible says this, but ignore that part because that was written a long time ago. Newsflash, everything in there was written a long time ago. So what part of it are you going to get rid of? It's all there. Jesus died on the cross. He was born in Bethlehem. I mean, he rose from the dead. I mean, what parts are you going to take away? Just the parts that conflict with how you want to live your life? Just with the parts that conflict with what culture says should be acceptable? Well, who gives them the authority to do that? And if they have more authority than the Bible who says this is the way you're to live, and if they have the authority to come and look at this and say not that part, not that part, well, who has the greater authority now? Is it the word of God or is it the critic? It's the critic. Because they somehow, as soothsayers, can go to the word of God and they can determine what part is right and what part is wrong, which gives them greater authority than the book itself. Which is not the case. The point is the word of God has authority and you either accept it or you reject it. That's what it is. And so you can't just say, well, I'm going to live this way in rebellion and live this way in rebellion. No, you, you can't. We must have that same faith to the end. The faith the Lord to save us, faith and how he's told us to live, 
the way we should conduct ourselves, the things we should put our time and energies and efforts towards, that's the important piece. True belief in Jesus will be obedient faith. True belief in Jesus will result in obedient faith. If you believe in the Lord, then your life is going to be marked as a disciple of his. Jesus said, many will come in the last days and say, Lord, didn't we do all these great things for you? And he's going to say, don't hit your name down here. I don't know who you are. So this isn't just a, a delusion that is going to affect a few. From the mouth of Jesus, he says, many are going to be deluded in this way. And that is what is motivating this author as he writes, is that this group thinks that they can jettison Jesus, at least the true Jesus, and adopt some other view and live however they want to. He says, no, you can't do that. Jesus spoke of the necessity of abiding in him in John chapter 15. Verses 5 through 8 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Clearly, Jesus expects those that are his disciples to remain in him. That the faith that they began with will still be present in the middle and the end. Those who have faith in Jesus are going to abide and they're going to bear much fruit. Their life will show forth that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. They will be people who abide in his word, as we read there. And my words abide in you. What Jesus had to say, what is given to us through the word of God, we take it, we live it out, we obey it. We don't tamper with it. This is the message that we find. John said in his epistle of those that had departed that they were not part of the family of faith to begin with. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they may, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So again, it's that same thought. Who's truly a partaker? Those that continue, those that abide, those that remain. Now, listen. There can be those that we may look at at a particular point in their journey, in their walk with the Lord, and we would say, I don't even know if they're saved. And it's a season of of backsliding, and they end up coming back to the Lord, and it's not that they get saved again, but they work through it. Then there's other people that can look exactly the same way, and they never come back. And we don't know who's who, do we? I mean, we love to uh, argue and fight over, you know, once saved, always saved, can you lose your salvation? But at the end of the day, none of us know what's really in a person's heart, do we? It's the Lord who knows. This is what the Lord has put in front of us to be concerned with, is to make certain your faith is strong. That the faith you had at the beginning is a faith that you're living out to have at the end. Abide in him. That's the exhortation. That is what we're being told. And if you are one that's saying, well, I don't know if I still want to believe in Jesus and follow him, 
Well, if you make that conscious decision to not believe in Jesus, then it will become evident that you are not a partaker with Jesus. And so this is what is in front of us. It's a strong exhortation to understand who truly is a believer. Who truly is a partaker? Those that continue. Now, look, if, if we were to put all of our lives up and, and kind of do a chart of our partaking, we probably would see highs and lows. Do you agree with me? You're, if you looked at it, you're, you'd see moments where Troy's life is high. You would see moments where Troy's life is, is low. But at every point of my life, I have had constant belief in Jesus Christ. I have never once thought I'm done with Jesus. Oh, you know, you ha like, I have, just like you, a thought that comes into your mind that you despise, that's not yours, that you jettison, and it's just a fiery dart of the enemy trying to put something in your head and says, you know, maybe this isn't real, and I just, I move on. I know it's real. Those thoughts come, and I dismiss them. I, you know, I, I can go to the Word, and I can find the answers. God's okay with our questions, but what he's not okay with uh, is when we say, I don't believe in you anymore. Here, it's really simple. Nobody can be saved apart from faith in Jesus. You cannot have your sins forgiven apart from Jesus. And if you walk away from him, then what is your forgiveness? What are you going to cling to? What are you hoping in? God is being very clear. Now, in this passage that we're reading here, and I know we're not making very fast pace, but he says, I'll read again, for we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So, so again, Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is an invitation to worship, and it closes looking at the wilderness generation that said, we're not going to follow you anymore. We're not going to go into the promised land. So you can read Psalm 95 on your own, but it's quoted heavily here in this chapter. And the next for that, that, that matter. So you might want to read this when you get home. But he says today, he, today's the day to get it right with the Lord. I mean, if you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, then today is the day to do it. Well, I don't know if I'm ready. No, today is the day, says God. You should do this today. If you are tinkering with your faith and you know, you know that it's a, a dangerous road you're walking down and you've messed with this so much and you know you've got to just get rid of all that other thinking and thought and just fully commit yourself today. Today is the day to do it. Well, I don't know if I'm ready. I want to think it through a little bit more. Well, you're going to read that the Lord gets angry with the generation that did this. His wrath is manifested. And so we should be wiser than that. But at the end of verse 15, he mentions an event. He says, as in the rebellion. So the question is, what's the rebellion? And the Israel in the wilderness had many days in which they did things that got God angry. You could think of the, the golden calf. You could think about them complaining and, and you know, griping against Moses and therefore God. And how he stepped in in many different times. But there's one event that stands out as the rebellion event. And that is found in Numbers chapter 14. And in Numbers chapter 14, it's when the nation 
that wilderness generation decides that they will not go into the promised land because there are giants in the land and there is no way they can have victory if they go in. And so they rebelled against the Lord and they did not believe. Now, when they left Egypt, it was all about getting out of bondage and slavery and coming into a land of their own. That's been the goal. That's been the point the entire time. It's not a sub-point. It's the major focus of everything that's happened. The ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the closing of the Red Sea on the Egyptian army, the water from the rock, manna. So what they had done earlier in Numbers was they sent out the spies into the land. And they saw that it was a fruitful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, just gigantic fruit. It is just a beautiful place. And so they decide, um, you know, to come back and give the report. And they come back. There's 12 of them. Ten of the spies says the land is great. The congregation gets excited said, but we can't go because there's giants in the land. And, and these guys will squash us like bugs. Read Numbers 13. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They just step on us and we'll be done. They are huge. There's no way we could be victorious. Could you pass me some more of that manna? You know, and the next guy goes, you're absolutely right. Here's your manna. Can you give me some of the water? And, and why am I saying that? Because they, that day they were eating manna. That day they were drinking the water of provision from God. They were seeing the manifested power and miracles of the Lord. The man is still stuck in their teeth and they're saying God can't do it. Do you see, do you see what's going on here? God has provided for them and yet they don't think that they can do this. And the res- that is a rebellion that's being talked about. You can read, uh, you know, probably Numbers, at least 13, probably Numbers 12 through 14, and you'll get the whole story. It's a great, um, easy story to read. So their faith did not continue in God. At this moment, it became the rebellion. You know, that probably surprises some of you. Because uh, if I didn't know this story, and I was asked the question, what is the rebellion I would have gone to the golden calf. It was rebellious what they did, but that's not the rebellion as stated by God. The rebellion is when he says, I want you to go into the land. I'm going to give it to you. And they said, we won't go. The golden calf was a terrible moment. And don't, not downplaying it. But it wasn't the moment that they said, we're done following your plan. It's the moment that they were led astray. And they got, you know, they let their flesh, they had, a, they had a lapse of faith. But in Numbers 14, it's their faith stops. So I wouldn't have picked, had I not known the story, I wouldn't have picked, um, we're afraid of the giants. I would have picked, again, probably the golden calf. But you see what a big deal it is to not believe in God. And I think we all know that as Christians, if you don't have faith in Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no life. There is no promised land. There is no eternity for us. Let's keep on reading about this generation. Verse 16. And he does this in an interesting way. He's going to identify who they are. He's going to ask a question, and he's going to give the answer in the next question. So he says, for who, having heard, rebelled? 
So who are these people? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? The implication is everybody that saw the power of God. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? You know, it's interesting here, it says corpses. It's kind of a, it's kind of a raw way to refer to a human body here. They could have said whose bodies. There's a different Greek word. They could have said whose bodies. But it's, it's not like that. It, it, I think to maybe even really catch the, the tone of what's being said here. Uh, so, was it not those who sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? That, that's, the, that's kind of the idea that's being communicated here. He's trying to communicate the anger that the Lord has. And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now we'll talk about rest in chapter 4. That's what the whole chapter is about. But as we wrap it up here. They did not believe. Now, the, ten, the 12 spies had gone into the land. They were in the land for 40 days looking at God's great provision for them. When they came back and said, we can't go, we're going to die, 10 of them persuaded the crowd to. Joshua and Caleb said, no, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Let's go get them. You know, God's done all this so far. We'll be victorious. But the congregation was persuaded by the 10, and they did not go. And God said, okay, for every day that you are in the promised land, and you saw my provision, you will spend one year in the wilderness until the entire generation that is, you know, uh, youth, 18 and younger, until you all are dead, you're going to wander the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years, it was, if you will, a death march. They wandered until every la- everyone who did not believe died. Only two people believed Joshua and Caleb, and they were given extended days of life, and they entered into the promised land. And he says, this generation wouldn't receive what I had, and they didn't believe. What he's communicating to, these, to the audience, to this, the Hebrew audience that he is writing, is if you don't believe in Jesus, you're just like the generation that didn't believe that God wanted to give them the promised land. The promised land is in Jesus. We spend so much time talking about all the blessings that, that are in Christ in the previous chapters. It's the promised land, the, the, you know, that flow of milk and honey, the blessings for your life. It's all in Jesus. And if you don't believe in him, then you won't receive any of it. And so he writes and he says, you started well, you had a beginning faith, but if you're really a partaker, that beginning faith is going to be what? An ending faith too. And so it's a challenge for all of us. If you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from salvation. If you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from his provision. If you walk away from Jesus, you leave the joy and peace that only he can give. Oh, you can find something that looks like it, but you're not going to have that which you need. The joy and peace that comes from the Lord. His guidance is not going to be there in your life. Deliverance in your trials is not going to be there. What do you gain when you walk away from Jesus? Nothing. It's a death march. And so for those of you, maybe it's you know, the young people in here, or maybe it's somebody who's been a believer longer than anybody else in this room, and you feel your faith teetering. Hey, you need to come, and you need to solidify your faith in Christ. 
You need to get rid of those other voices that are saying, hey, don't go, don't follow, the giants are big. You need to get rid of that. You need to silence those voices in your head and you need to believe in what has been delivered. Don't harden your heart, believe today. Get it right with Jesus. Don't be one who has heard but does not realize the favor of God and not enter in. Can you imagine what it will be like for those who have gotten so close to the kingdom, maybe having spent their whole life around the things of God or having been raised and to know the truth and not go in? We're going to read as we get further on into chapter 4 that God was angry with this generation. Why was he angry? Because he had done the ten plagues. He had performed these miracles to deliver them. He had parted the Red Sea. He had given them manna. He had given them water. He, had, he was over and over again saving and delivering them. And in the midst of all the saving and delivering, they said, I don't believe. And you're, you may think, well, I would never do that. You know, God, if God was to show me a miracle, I would believe right now. Well, let me share an old uh, witnessing story. It's not my last one. I've witnessed two, but an old witnessing story of me when I was 17 years old and I was in Australia. We were standing outside of Ride Baptist Church and we were doing an outreach concert, but a lot of the kids were outside, so we went out and we were witnessing and talking with them. And I was talking with these two kids, and I, you know, um, um, one kid who's open to the gospel is kind of standing right across from me, and this guy right here, and it's important where they're standing, is standing right here, and he um, is just antagonistic. And I make a little bit of progress, and he begins to just kind of undermine what the Lord, he's snatching the seed up. I mean, it's like as soon as it goes down. And um, <clears throat> this, this guy says to me, the, the one is antagonistic, he says, and this is, I am not exaggerating, this is not an evangelistic mess, uh, you know, uh, uh, testimony. This is... This is what happened. I was shocked and as surprised as anybody else. I said to the guy, I said, you know, if God was to perform a miracle right now, you still would not believe. He goes, if I was to see a miracle right now, I would believe. And he fell flat on his face. Out cold. And I watched him fall. And the other guy watched him fall and hit the ground. We looked up and he said, what did you do to him? I said, I didn't do anything to him. And he says, how did that happen? And I'm like, I don't know, but you better believe. And this guy's still on the ground, right? So we attend to him. We get him up. We take him into the vestibule of the, of the church. Um, he's, he's not hurt at all. And he sits up and we sit down. And as soon as he comes to, he goes, I still don't believe. He goes, he says, this happens all the time. I said, yeah, sure it does. And his friend says, it doesn't happen to you. You see, you can see all of these things. And you would say, if I see it, I'll believe it. No, you wouldn't. Because how you enter into a relationship with the Lord is through faith. Faith is the spiritual hands that reaches out and embraces the salvation message that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead, you must believe. You gotta do that. It's like, well, I just, I don't like the faith thing. There will never be another way. 
It is through faith. It has always been through faith, and it will always be through faith. And if you think God is going to change the plans, you're wrong. Because faith is trust, and trust is involved in every meaningful relationship that we have. If you have a meaningful relationship, there's faith there. There's trust. And God wants a meaningful relationship with you. It'll never, ever, ever be apart from faith. You must believe. I must believe. And we must continue to the end. He who began a good work in you will what? He's going to finish it. He's going to complete it. If you're in Christ Jesus, you need not fear. You just need to take care of your faith. You need to progress in your faith. And you need to let God do what he wants to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. And I pray that, Lord, those maybe that don't know you today or those that are thinking about walking away from you, that, Lord, you would speak this bold message to them and that they would return. While we're praying, I just want to say quickly here, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, then do it today. Don't harden your heart another time by saying, I'll do it later. No, no, no. Right now. Right now, believe in Jesus. And maybe you're one that's here, maybe you're even in this room under protest. The Lord is speaking to you, though. And you know what's being said is true. Drop your pride Humble yourself and come to Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other way. You may not like it, but it's, it's not your creation. You're a part of the creation. And God Almighty does whatever he pleases, and no one will stop him. And he has made it so that Jesus is the only way. You must come to him. So right where you sit in the quietness of your heart, Receive Christ. Repent. Humble yourself. If God got angry at that generation who didn't believe that he could get them into the promised land, how do you think he feels about those who do not believe in his son? You can be a friend of God today or you can walk out as an enemy of God today, but that will be your decision. He wants you to come and be his friend.